Ticket City presents Why You Go to the Game to See Georgia Southern. The play is known simply as the run. Peterson took a handoff up the middle, broke a tackle at the line of scrimmage, spins away from the next defender he meets, and he shakes off a diving tackler. 30 yards down the field, he meets another defender and literally throws him out of the way with his right arm, grabs him by the shoulder pad, and swipes him off onto the sideline. It was really so surreal because the place is going completely berserk during the run until he throws off that defender. He throws off that defender, the whole place went silent, stone silent, like an intake of breath. It was just so amazing. Nobody had ever seen it before. And then, of course, the place exploded again after they all caught their breath. Put yourself in the action with Ticket City. Visit savannahnow.com slash sports and click on tickets. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. All right, Georgia Southern fans, welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I'm Travis Shadon, the host of the show and beat writer for Georgia Southern Athletics for the Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. I'm joined, as always, by Greg Talbot. Greg, how are you this week? I'm doing pretty good, buddy. Uh, This is the happiest Eagle Nation has been in a couple of years. And after covering this team for, for the first two years, 2016 and 2017, where they were just on a downward trajectory, it's it, it's it's fun to be covering this team in in a way where you look out on the highway and all you see is good news. Yeah, I know that. So we'll start today with our four downs. We'll discuss the App State win from from every angle, and then start looking forward to Louisiana Monroe and kind of beyond, and and what the season has in store for Georgia Southern. We'll also talk about a couple of depth chart changes and some news and notes from this week in Georgia Southern football. So I'll start today with uh, our four downs. My first down is that Wesley Fields and Shy Wirtz are the one-two punch that successful Georgia team, Georgia Southern teams have always had at quarterback and running back. But Wirtz and Fields are three and four, respectively, in the Sun Belt in rushing per game, and Wirtz leads the Sun Belt with 10 touchdowns. Fields, meanwhile, is moving up the Georgia Southern all-time rushing rushing yards list and has 550 on the year and Wirtz was recently named the offensive player of the week for the Sun Belt. So Greg, obviously people have already seen this year, you know, this last game wasn't a revelation about Wirtz and Fields, but they're really starting to kind of separate themselves and show just how valuable to the team they are. Greg, I saw a number this week that said uh, Shy Wirtz has accounted for 42% of Georgia Southern's touchdowns. So that, that's pretty crazy to me, how just how used these two guys are. Well, I, I totally believe it, just based on his rushing touchdowns alone and, and the times he's passed for touchdowns, which has been more than I've anticipated this year. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree that these two are the guys that are going to carry the offense on their back. Uh, I I would say that... Bob DeBess and Chad Lunsford have done the absolute right thing by having those two take the lion's share of the defense attention. And I think going to those two so often yeah. is often what allows Wes Kennedy to to break open and, and kind of be the X factor versus someone who the defense is constantly watching all game. Uh, I think right. having those two really carry the offense has allowed other guys to break open in space so the fact that Bob DeBest figured out how to do that in a year or less actually is is tremendous 
Um, okay, my second down, and I know a lot of people in the audience are going to not like me for saying this, but I, I feel compelled to do it anyway. Yes, no. this is a big win in years for Georgia Southern. I don't think there's an asterisk next to it, but I do think that this win, as incredible as it is, doesn't necessarily mean that Georgia Southern is the best team in the Sun Belt, full stop. I know every team has injuries. That's how college football works. App State lost their running back for the year two weeks ago with an ACL, and their quarterback went out on the first drive and didn't get back in. So really you're talking about an App State team that were missing their quarterback and their running back, who are some of the best in the conference at both of those positions individually. Now, yeah, Southern rolled them. It wasn't a close game. They kicked ass, uh, and there's something to be said for that. But I think for people to automatically assume that this means Georgia Southern is the best team in the Sun Belt top to bottom, I think that might be a little bit soon to make that judgment. What do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. It's too soon to declare someone the best in the conference, you know, in in totality. But for right now, I mean, I, for me, I think Georgia Southern has looked the best in the conference out of the 10 teams. Would you at least say that? Oh, absolutely. They look the best. Yeah. I, I yeah. just... You know what's funny is so that game was on Friday, well, that game was on Thursday. We had a high school football game on Friday on WSAV, which was going to be the region championship for one of the regions up in South Carolina. And uh, on the first drive of the game, one of the teams lost their running back who already had like 1,500 yards on the ground on the year. He was like one of the best running backs in the state. And the other yeah. team won by like four touchdowns. And I I, fe- I felt robbed watching that high school football game because I wanted to see what that game would have looked like had everyone been healthy and playing. And not to say I felt robbed by the App State game because I don't feel robbed. And I'm happy Southern won, obviously. I just wish I had really been able to see the two fighters go head-to-head at 100%. Yeah, that's – I mean, I agree with you there. That we'd be kind of missing the point if we didn't at least acknowledge that Zach Thomas, the quarterback for App State, and Jordan Fair, the linebacker, too, with the targeting ejection. That obviously changed the game. And you're right. It's, I, you don't want to say disappointing, but what's kind of disheartening about it is that both teams are in the East, so there's not even the possibility of getting to see both teams at full strength. That, um, exactly. That's the thing. That's exactly right. That's what that's what makes me upset. I'm not upset because, like, I know Southern wins the division. They can go on to win the conference, and that'll be great. But yeah, I wish there was another way these teams could play. I wish I could see these two teams in the conference championship game instead of like Lafayette or, or whoever they're going to play. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, let's jump on. I'll I'll get over um to third down and talk about my favorite unit on the team right now, and that's the Georgia Southern offensive line. Um, offensive line coach, really like a lot of the Southern staff, but offensive line coach Ron Hudson deserves a lot of credit for not not just where this offensive line is now, but, but how it's gotten there and really how quickly they've shrunk from an eight-man unit with really no camaraderie to a pretty cohesive-looking five-man unit. On Saturday, they played probably their – if not their best game, their second best game of the season behind the New Mexico State performance. But left to right across the line, they've been great. And Jeremy Colbris and Brian Miller at both tackle spots have really been good. And Brian Miller, the guy out of Savannah, a redshirt freshman from Memorial Day, Lunchford's 
said before in the past, I know he thinks that he could potentially be a future NFL guy. You know, that's still three years away. But right now in Statesville, Brian Miller is really performing well. And Greg, quickly on the offensive line, I wanted to kind of get your opinion on this. We've talked before about how the best, you know, adjust every game plan coming in and how every game really there's been kind of a new little thing, for lack of a better word, just like a little wrinkle or something we hadn't seen before. And every single time that the best has done that, Hudson and his group of offensive linemen have kind of been able to adjust their game plan and respond accordingly. And that's really gone a long way in the success of, of Shy Wirtz and Wesley Fields. Yeah, my big takeaway about the offensive line recently is that, I mean, how many weeks into the season were we, like, still worried about them? Extremely Yeah, I mean – I, mean, I felt like I was worried about the offensive line and whether or not they could be the ones to push this offense down the field until, like, week three. Um, yeah. I, I distinctly remember on our uh, the, the podcast after the South Carolina State game, we were freaked out because they couldn't execute a dive for more than two yards, and we're like, oh, my God, what are they going to do? Um, the yeah. offensive line, I think, of, of, of any of the units has certainly come the farthest over the course of the regular season, and – Offensive linemen never get their due. They never get the glory. They never get the spotlight. But, man, I, I have been so impressed with them. And I think their ability to open up holes and run dives and sweeps and zone reads, uh, their ability to, to really run all the different things you need to do to push the ball down the field with this kind of offense, I really do believe that the, that the skill players have been great all year, and that's why they looked good. I seriously think they started to look great when the offensive line caught up. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, Greg. You want to jump into fourth down, and then we'll get into some news and notes? Yeah, my fourth down is, is a pretty easy one, and this is what Chad Lunsford would say. No down weeks from here on in. People might think that, yeah. oh, App State was the big hump. No. ULM is tied for first place in the Western Division. Weekend after that, as we all know, November 10th, everyone's looking forward to Troy. Uh, they're they're also undefeated in the Eastern Division, just like Georgia Southern. And then, yeah, Coastal Carolina isn't great, but they do have you know Jamie Chadwell running the offense, and then Georgia State has beat Southern a couple years in a row. So is Southern the best team in the Sunbelt Conference now? Yeah, I think so. I think they are. But what Chad said at the press conference is like, yeah, we're 7-1, and one, but if we lose the next four games, we're 7-4 and four and we're a normal kind of average football team. Uh, so no, no more down weeks. What did he say last year in that game? He said, uh, put, put the foot on the gas, don't let up, choke them out. They need to choke out the rest of the season. I want to see him putting up 40 points a game the rest of the way. Yeah, that was awesome. Anyone that hasn't seen that quote from Chad Lunsford last year uh, about what he told the team at halftime, that, that's definitely one to look up. Um, all right, Greg, do you want to touch on anything else from App State before we kind of move into this week? I just want to say uh, how happy I am for the people who stuck yeah. by this team, because here's the reality. I don't know how many people emotionally stuck by this team over the last two years or three years. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be between 10 and 15,000 people at any Georgia Southern game, some of which are students. I'll tell you, man, I am happy for all of Eagle nation because the team is back. I am really happy for the people who showed up every Saturday for the people who go to the Chad Lunsford radio show, for the people who didn't talk smack at the kids on Twitter the last two years, 
I'm really happy for the people who didn't give up because there, I think there are a lot of people who gave up and walked away and haven't quite come back yet. I'm really happy for the people who stuck by them. Yeah, and that's one thing I'll say, Greg, is that for Georgia Southern fans who have been around this program, especially over the last two years, you've been through really the worst two years in program history. And, and if you stuck by them during that, I mean, when I say stuck by them, I don't mean you know, not being upset. I just mean sticking by them and continuing to watch and support the games, even when the product was bad. For those fans that, that stuck around, I would just say if you're if you find yourself nitpicking this year and wishing something about the Georgia Southern team this year was a little better than it is, or you know, I mean, then I would just say remember how you felt this time last year and remember that feeling as compared to the way you feel this week, uh, a year later, watching, you know, the college football playoff rankings be released and possibly, you know, Georgia Southern wasn't ranked, but, poss- you know, at least you had the possibility of thinking that you could be, and that's a long, long way from where you were a year ago. So that really can't be overstated or can't, can't be said enough. I agree with you. And um, I, and I'll say this too, piggybacking off that, so there are the people who, who stuck by – and then there are the people who didn't really stick by. Uh, I actually, so confession, I did a live shot out at Georgia Southern at the stadium on Thursday for the 6 o'clock news. Then I drove back right after that to WSAV and watched the game on TV. So I didn't actually see a complete view. Did they not sell out the stadium? No, they had 19-2-5-2. I can't believe they didn't even get the 20 for this game. Yeah, I'm kind of... If you're okay with it, Greg, I'm kind of just over talking about the attendance. I mean, at this point, no, I, 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 I completely agree. kind of. I agree. I agree. But I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have either you're either a fan that's not going to the game and you weren't going to go regardless, or you're probably you've probably exhausted all your options. Kind of like Greg and I have. I mean, there's really nothing else to to say about it. But no. No, there, there, there's nothing else to say, and, and, and what I think happened is I, I thought when people talked about the damage Tyson Summers did, I think a lot of people meant inside the program. I think we all kind of underestimated just how much damage he did yeah. to, the, to the brand and the fan base, and that, makes, that might take some time to rebuild. All right, Greg, let's jump into some notes and news real quick before a quick overview of ULM. Uh, this week, Georgia Southern and Coastal Carolina set their kickoff time for the November 17th game in Conway, South Carolina. That'll be a 5 p.m. Eastern kickoff on, I think, ESPN3, possibly ESPN+. Plus. Check in on that. Um, but that kickoff time is set. And then the uh, weekly depth chart came out this week with the game notes from Brian Johnson and company. And, Greg, there's a few notable changes on this thing. And as we've seen... You know, just because Lunchford and company changed this depth chart and released it on a Tuesday or Monday or Wednesday, that doesn't mean by the time Saturday rolls around that it'll look anything like this. But let's talk about it anyway. Two notable changes for me on this that should be really noted by fans. First, on the offensive side of the ball, you look at the slot position and see Wes Kennedy is not there. And instead, Wes Kennedy is listed as the third running back behind Wesley Fields and Monteo Garrett. And instead, Devarius Barnyard is at the slot receiver, the true freshman. And then at safety, Sean Freeman, who missed the last two games with an ankle, is not listed at all on the depth chart. And just from going off of 
Rashad Bird not being listed earlier in the year, that doesn't necessarily mean that Freeman's out for a long period of time, but it means that he's definitely out this week again. So Kendrick Duncan Jr. has really played well in his stead at the safety position. But those two positional changes really stuck out to me, Greg, as the takeaways from this week's step chart. Yeah, I'm interested to see exactly what that means for Wesley Kennedy. Uh, uh-huh. We know that when Fields was out, he did take a lot of that role. He, he ran dives. He ran sweeps. He actually ran as a running back. I think part of it also, too, is that over the course of the last couple of weeks, we have seen guys like Darian Anderson make a couple of big plays downfield as a wide receiver. How good and has I, he been? He's been great. He's been great. Uh, and talking about a guy with a great story, too, committed to Georgia, decommitted when Rick left, and then chose Southern instead. Um, right. Played high school with Jake Brom, I'm pretty sure, at Houston County. Yeah, he did at Houston County. That was his high school quarterback. I am, I'm interested to see if they actually change anything with Kennedy, if they actually put him in the backfield more for important games. I really do think it's, it's part of the fact that they want to make him more of a runner. I think it's also that they realize they have a couple of weapons who are now kind of breaking out at wide receiver like Darian Anderson. I really do think that makes a difference. Yeah, I think it definitely has more to do with the other guys than Wes Kennedy. But, Greg, is this a, a weird takeaway for me? I mean, I, I want to get your opinion on this. Is a little bit of this move, Bob DeBest and Chad Lunsford, looking at 2019 and saying we're going to lose our top two tailbacks, you know, who's going to carry the rock along with guys that are lower on the depth chart? So who's going to be the number one running back for Georgia Southern next year? This might be an early answer. You don't think that Wes Kennedy could start next year as the starting running back, do you? I think he is too dynamic a weapon to just make your H-back. Yeah. I think he's way too dynamic. I think that's going to be Matt LaRoche or, or, or Logan Wright or someone like that. This is no bash on previous Georgia Southern running backs, some of which have been hugely dynamic, guys like Matt Breida. But I just feel like Kennedy is so dynamic and such a good pass catcher that I don't want to see him just taking handoffs. Because, like, yeah, we, we saw him do that at Benedictine in high school in Savannah. He was a great pure running back. But he, he's such a good pass catcher, such a good route runner, and such a good decoy to, to screw with opposing defenses. I, I hope they don't just make him into a pure running back. Yeah, I don't think they will. I think the takeaway from this is just that Bob DeVest and Chad Lunsford once again doing anything they can to get the best are the most talented 11 players on the field for that Agreed. specific play. And, uh, yep, I agree. You know, they're gonna, yeah, they could really care less about this depth chart, it looks like to me, um, come game day. But plenty of guys uh, seeing action on the offensive side of the ball. Greg, let's talk real quick about some true freshmen who are either approaching the four-game maximum to, to be eligible to keep your red shirt and um, the four guys who have already exceeded it. So – the four guys that have exceeded it and, and are ineligible to be registered this year are Marcus Rogers, the receiver, C.J. Wright, Najee Thompson, who has been really a standout on special teams, and then Barnard, the slot receiver who stepped in for Wes Kennedy. But here's a couple of guys, at least, who I think Georgia Southern fans should keep an eye on. Justin Birdsong, the really talented, true freshman cornerback. Yeah, um, yeah. Was back last week, didn't play, but was fully padded out. He's played in three football games this year. So just to refresh everyone's memory, if you play in five games, 
Uh, and, and to play in a game is one play. So it doesn't matter how often, how often you play in the game. But if you play in five football games this year, you, you cannot be redshirted. And if you play in four games, you can. So right now, Justin Birdsong is at three games played. And we're kind of getting to that sticky spot with, with him that we talked about earlier in the year, Greg. And that's do you value a guy playing five or six games only um, and burning that redshirt? for five or six games this year um, or do you do everything you can to try to play them in only one more game and save the redshirt? I mean, I don't know that there's a right answer and we may not know what the right answer is for another two or three years, but it's, this is going to be the first time that this kind of scenario has been you know, brought to the doorstep of Lunsford in the offensive staff or in the defensive staff. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how they play birdsong. Another couple of guys, uh, Greg, I wanted to hit, and then you can comment, is Brandon Cross, another freshman cornerback. Uh, I think he was a former Tennessee commit. He is three games played so far. John Ferguson, the linebacker, who had a couple tackles last week, he's three games played. Zion McGee and Quinn Williams both had two games played. So those are some guys to keep an eye on um, as the season begins to wind down. Yeah, so my feeling on this is always if you only played them in three games, or four games, I, I kind of wouldn't burn the red shirt unless you, like, really need them in a really hard spot. And, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, because yeah. I know we haven't been watching any of these guys particularly closely. Which of these guys are they going to need in order to win a game? I, I don't think any of them you would need. Uh, Ferguson, to me, is interesting because he starts every week, really. So not far down the depth chart as in he's playing bad, but just there's a lot of older guys in that linebacker unit but he starts every week so far down and then by the third or fourth quarter you look up and he's having to play meaningful snaps if only for a couple of snaps because Ekton goes down or or Reese goes down or another linebacker goes down so he's interesting and and then Birdsong obviously I think is the most talented of of those five guys we listed I think you know absolutely absolutely yeah, I think you kind of just you, – you hope you don't use him, and, and then you keep him right next to you in case you have to. And if you, if you need to use him, then you use him, but you would hope you, you don't have to for sure. Um, I just thought it was interesting to see how it's going to play out uh, the first yeah, round. Yeah, my, my attitude is always like – my attitude for this is going to be for Southern. Like, unless you need them and someone gets hurt and you need to put them in the game, what's it worth? Why, why is it worth it to have him play one series – against Georgia State if it means you can't get it for 12 games next year. Right. And that's it's a situation that you really need to be prepared for and kind of keep the player in the loop the whole time as to what your thought process is because, it, you know, in the heat of the game, you might be tempted to use them and, and then after the game realize, damn, I, you know, I probably should have done that. That was probably a little – reactionary, so we'll see how that plays out. Certainly something to keep an eye on. Greg, I wanted to touch on something that I've been seeing uh, around social media, and and this is kind of one of the products of having a successful football season and also a, a surprising football season. A lot of people have begun talking about the contracts and the um, status moving forward of the Georgia Southern coordinators, Bob DeVest, Scott Sloan. And this is something, Greg, that we should really start paying attention to because 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give your take on it, Greg, but I'll just say this. It's a fine line because you want, when your assistants are gaining attraction from other programs for other jobs, that's a good thing. I mean, that, that means you're successful and, you know, by and large, what you've implemented has worked and, and so on and so forth. But it will be interesting to see for sure if Georgia Southern financially will step up and match some of these offers that are more than likely coming for Sloan. I would pretty much bet the house on it. And for no, see, that's, that, 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 that's, exactly, that's exactly what I was going to – yeah, that's what I was going to say because the best, God bless his heart, how many – programs that rank above Georgia Southern in this country run this kind of offense? Like four? Yeah. Army, Georgia Tech. I mean, it's a limited field for DeBest to move up in, but you know Sloan's going to get some kind of legitimate offer in the offseason, 100%. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with you fully, and I guess maybe I'm not thinking of any other ones, but I think, you know, the only two offers that you would think are improvements uh, as far as Sloan and assistance go, would be uh, uh, the same coordinator position at a Power Five school, or um, a head coaching job anywhere, really. So, I don't think laterally. I don't think the best and Sloan are going anywhere. But you know, also guys like Corey Peoples, the cornerbacks coach and the secondary coach. This is a secondary uh, that is has been dynamite really for a long time, or for at least the last you know fifteen or so football games. So guys like that kind of go unnoticed and under the radar, and understandably so, but it, it will be interesting to see how Georgia Southern retains this staff moving forward um, because Lunsford has said time and time again how important that is and how that's the mark of a committed program and a bought-in bought um, university administration to the program if they're willing to step up and pay these guys. So that's something uh, that we'll talk about heading through the season. And then finally, Greg, um, what did you think about all the top 25 talk? Um, I mean, is it foolish for fans to be hyped about a possible top 25 voting? Or are you like me and you think that this is something that they should enjoy and they should root for and that this is part of the winning? Like, this is the product of winning is counting votes and seeing where you rank and, and seeing how far behind you are and arguing if you should be 24, 25, you know, I think this is something yeah. that, uh, that I don't be embraced. What about you? Yeah, so so I don't like being Debbie Downer. I'm a positive guy in my life. You know this, Travis. Like, I mean, yeah, you are. How, often do you, how often do you see me bitching and complaining? Like, almost never. Like, I'm a positive guy. Of Only when Gonzaga loses. Exactly right. So, like, I don't bring people down. I don't bring down the party. I want everyone to be having a good time. I want people to have a good day. I don't like being a bearer of bad news. So I'm not going to bear bad news. But I watched the college game day uh, in Jacksonville. My lovely fiance, Brittany, and I went down to watch the Florida-Georgia game last weekend. And we went to college game day, and there was a kid in the front row on national TV that had a sign that said, Rank Georgia Southern. And oh, that was I, awesome. I kind of thought it was a joke. But then the, then the polls came out on Sunday. Um, and Southern, what, was what, 28? So here's my feeling yep. on it, and you can feel free to disagree with me as always. I think that having Southern there, does it show the laziness or the bias toward having a mid-major program somewhere in there on some of the AP voters? Because although Southern smacked the crap out of App State, who was number 25, 
App didn't have their running back, didn't have their quarterback, and Georgia Southern, you know, kicked their butt. They're ranked ahead of Michigan State. What do you think the final score of a game against Michigan State would be, Travis? Well, that's that's the thing. Do you and there's no right answer. Do you when you say that a team is the let's just say the twentieth best team in the country, they're ranked number twenty. Does that mean that they so far have been the twentieth best team in the country? Or does that no, uh, mean that we think this it, is it's the all arbitrary and let's be honest, it's all based on it's 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 all based on the number of wins and the number of losses. Um, yeah, it's a reflection of what you've done so far, not what might ha- what we think will happen or what right. might happen. It's, 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 right. it's, it's not based, and that's the difference. Between, and I think between the coaches poll and the AP poll, the coaches yes. the coaches yes. are voting for who they think the best teams in the country are. The AP voters uh-huh. are voting based on records, so. I do think if that if Georgia Southern wins out, if they beat ULM, they beat Troy more importantly, and then they cruise against Coastal and Georgia State, yeah, I think they will be ranked in, in, the, in the AP Top 25, in the AP Top 25 by the end of the year. Um, coaches poll won't happen, not a chance. But you know what was funny was I, I asked Chad to be honest about this in the press conference when I asked him on Monday. I said, you know, you must feel some kind of way about it. Please don't brush off this question. Like, be honest. How do you feel? He basically said it's good for our fans. It's good for recruiting. It's good for national exposure. So I'm not going to hate on it, which I think is the right attitude. It's fun. If they end up in the AP top 25, great. But you'll never see them. But it's the not AP. sexy. Don't call it sexy, though. Right. So you, you, you might see him in the AP. You'll never see him in the coaches poll. Never. At least this year. In the future, yeah. I don't think you'll see him in the, in the coaches poll this year. Yeah, I guess for me, what what to focus on out of all this is to is to this is cool that you, that we're even having this discussion. You know what I mean? Like, it's amazing. Georgia Southern fans care about being ranked. What the hell? Like, how, how are we having that discussion now after after two months ago, where this team or where we thought this team might be? After three hundred sixty five days ago, where we thought or where this team was, really. Um, I mean, it's really just incredible. I wanted to. Get this quote out real quick that Lunsford said this week. I, I absolutely loved this. On the Monday Sunbelt Coaches teleconference um, that Lunsford and the rest of the coaches do every week, Lunsford said this quote, and it's just really great in my opinion. Quote, we're 7-1, and one, but if we lose the last four, then we're an ordinary football team. I'm glad yep. everybody is happy, but we've still got work to do. And that's awesome because ordinary is such a great word there because – how perfectly does that describe what a, a struggling team that runs the option offense looks like ordinary? And, right. you know, I don't think that's going to happen, but Lunsford just saying that's a possibility. I do have one more question for you regarding Chad. So we talked about the coordinators yeah. picking up offers in the off season. Uh-oh. Here's the thing. It's not like Chad is the head coach because he is the purveyor of the option offense. Hmm. <laughs> For sure, he, he's not Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay who had the head coaching job because they wanted a dual head coach offensive coordinator. Chad is uh-huh. the head coach. If they win out, someone's going to offer him, right? Well, yeah, I mean, someone's going to have interest in him. I don't know as far as offering goes what the guidelines would be for even talking to him while he's under contract. I know the. The buyout is huge. I think the buyout's a million dollars for Chad Lunsford's contract, well, the, and he's making. The buy- yeah, the buyout's big right. because Tom Klein, the, the buyout's big because Tom Kleinlein ponied up and, and, and finally gave 
the Georgia Southern head coach a worthwhile well, salary compared to the rest of the peers. Yeah, and, and Lunchard's currently making a base salary of $650,000. Nothing to sneeze exactly. at, but it's, it's fully loaded with incentives. I mean, he got, a, I think, a $6,500 bonus at the six-win mark, and then every win after that is another $2,000 bonus. So plenty of – and then I know there's a country club membership somewhere tossed into that, country, or that contract as well. So, yeah, to answer your question, I think Lunchard's definitely going to get interest – Greg, could you imagine the I, – yeah, I don't think it's an overstatement to say heartbreak if, you know, let's say Georgia Tech finally gets rid of Paul Johnson. If something like that were to happen, if Lunsford were – could you imagine the way that the fans in this program would feel after kind of this whole coming up over the last 12 months and then for, him, for it to just be over after a year would be really disheartening? Well, well you know what's funny is um, regarding that – And not to the, say the, I, the, I would blame him for doing that. No, but the normal step for going from a place like Southern to a big, big school, uh, well, a Power Five school and a legit in, in one of the power conferences, you usually go as a, as a coordinator and then a coordinator in waiting and then a head coach. Chad's never been a coordinator. He he doesn't have a special offense that he brings with him from place to place. If he's going to go somewhere, I, I honest to God do think it's going to be as a head coach, and. I, I don't think he's going to offer as a power five head coach after just one year. I, I, I don't think it's going to happen this off season. I just wanted to get your take. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen either, but yeah, what you're saying about Lunsford kind of, I, I, you know, I don't know if you're saying this, but this is what I got from what you said, Greg, is that he's more, I mean, he seems like he's more of a, a program runner and a program starter kind of putting people in the right spots to succeed. And yeah, and I think, not, I think, I think he's, CEO. He's a CEO and a situational head coach. Yeah. It's not like he's, uh, like he's Sean McVay. And he seems to have a special ability to to match personalities and match strategies together seamlessly because, I, I mean, Scott Sloan and Bob DeBest are the perfect complement to each other. It's, it's like out of a movie, honestly. I mean, the way that those guys kind of go back and forth and they're talking to the media and, and – when we get to hear them talk to the players, the way that they compliment each other there is impressive. And then the way that they call football games and the plays they call, you know, one person's strategy has almost always been beneficial to the other side of the ball as well. So Lunsford obviously has a, uh, a unique gift in, in building a staff, and he's certainly built a good one right now in Georgia Southern. Uh, Greg, anything else before we wrap it up? Just the biggest high school football game of the year on WSAV on Friday night. Number seven, Ware County against number eight, Wayne County for the Georgia 5A Region 2 State Championship. That is We're gonna a monster have game. Yeah, it, it's going to be a monster. It's two top ten teams. Region Championship rivalry game in, in Jessup, which is one of the big Southeast Georgia yep. crazy high school football towns. So it's going to be a monster. It's going to be on big WSAV. We can't wait for that, so tune in for that. Yeah, and for us uh, at Savannah Now, check us out at savannahnow.com and savannahnow.com slash sports. Also, give us your feedback on the podcast and, and what you guys want to see out of it and you know what your takeaways are, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, you know, This is here for you guys, the fans. So anything that Greg and I can, can improve on, check back with us next week after the ULM game heading into just a monumental game against Troy. 
Uh, until then, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Let's squeeze in our sponsor, Reed, one of the last for what is always a rewarding and very pink month. The Paint the Town Pink Breast Cancer Awareness Campaign wraps up Wednesday. That's Halloween, the end, last day of October, although it's a message that resonates throughout the year. Thanks to St. Joseph's Candler for spearheading this initiative, and particularly for today's Monography Day services, where hundreds of Savannians are being screened for breast cancer at six locations around the area. If you are due for a screening, there's no better day than today to set up an appointment with your medical provider. And St. Joseph's Candler's hotline, 912-819-PINK, is still available as a resource. Thanks for helping us paint the town pink for the 11th straight year. Carl, we'll start with some big picture stuff, kind of... Um, revolving around Georgia Southern and, and football specifically, I guess I just wanted to start off and kind of get your take on the atmosphere Thursday night at Paulson Stadium. Um, I don't know if that's the first time you've been to Statesboro this year for a game, but it's definitely different than a 2-10 and 10 atmosphere um, last year. I didn't know if you had any reaction to just the atmosphere um, around the game on Thursday. Well, it certainly was a you know an electric uh, and very very enthusiastic, and you know I think everyone knows the rivalry between Georgia Southern and App State, uh, but it uh, it definitely was different than a year ago at this time. Uh, I actually was at a, at a game uh, at Paulson last uh, you know early October, and you know the the, uh, the mood and the atmosphere was certainly different. So. You know, they've, they've come a long ways in, in a year. Uh, and, you know, to the credit of the coaching staff and to the credit of the administration for giving, you know, Coach Lunsford a, an opportunity to to, uh, to take this team and, and put his name on it. It's, uh, it's certainly, you know, very, very positive for Georgia Southern and very, very positive for the Sun Belt. And, Carl, uh, one of the things that, really played a huge impact in that game was a targeting call on um, App State linebacker Jordan Fair early in the first quarter. Um, I know having seen the Georgia Southern games in entirety this year, the targeting rule has really affected them, you know, on both sides, either their opponents or they've been called for a targeting in pretty much every game. What is your stance on how that's worked out so far, just the rule change and kind of the logistics surrounding, um, you know, how a targeting call is, is originally called and then, and then how it's reviewed? And how have you seen that process kind of play out? Well, again, this has been several years in, in play now, and, mm-hmm. and it's been a point of emphasis and, and one that, uh, you know, that we're seeing, we're seeing tremendous change in how coaches are, are teaching and instructing their, you know, their, their defenders um, you know, in kind of in the open field and the, the protection of, you know, of the, whether it's the quarterback or the wide receiver or uh, in terms of the, you know, the defensive player. And, you know, we're seeing changes. It doesn't mean that, that from time to time there's, there's going to be that, uh, that play where the, you know, the player comes in, you know, with the, with the helmet. There's a reason, you know, players are wearing helmets. It's, you know, to protect the, you know, their, you know, their, their heads. Uh, and it's it's been hard to to take it entirely out of out of the game, but I think we have seen some changes, uh, and it's going to be you know controversial. Uh, it does come with a obviously with a, a penalty in terms of the, the half game suspension or the you know the first half second half uh, second half next game. 
but uh, we're seeing results, and, and that's the that's the uh, I think the real positive uh, part of of why we initiated the kind of the stringent uh, enforcement of you know of that rule. In your time as the Sunbelt Commissioner since 2012, you've overseen you know a really historical expansion. Um, several teams that are still in the conference, including Georgia Southern and, you know, even teams that I've since joined and, and then left the conference. Right now it's at a 10-team league, and, and we know about the division split uh, this year. Do you guys, I mean, I guess in your opinion and, and your office, do you guys think that you've kind of settled on, I don't want to say perfect, but, but you guys are satisfied with the format for now? Oh, absolutely! I mean, the, yeah. the, the structure that we've been that we've been able to put together, and uh, and the you know, the success of our of our football program, you know, have have established the the Sun Belt as a, as a very credible and a very bona fide you know league, and one that uh, you know that we believe has you know has risen to a point where you know we don't have to take a back seat to whether it's Conference USA or. Or the, the Mid American, or the Mountain West, or, or the American Conference. Those are our peer conferences. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we know that uh, that you know, we're never going to be able to, to be at the level of, of the SEC or the ACC. And our goal is to be the best of, of the group of five. And uh, we certainly have, you know, I think have have uh, been able to, uh, you know, to get to the point where you know, we don't have to apologize. We don't have to take a back seat and. And we're showing it on the field. So, uh, both from a regular season standpoint, from a bowl standpoint, our goal is still to get a team in one of those Wednesday games. And um, you know, could could it still happen this year? Absolutely, it could still happen this year. And Georgia Southern has you know put together a resume now that you know that it is is at least putting themselves in the in the conversation. And you know, a week ago at this time, we were talking about App State being in that position and. A year ago at this time, we were talking about Troy being in that position, and you know, now Georgia Southern is in that position. So eventually, it's going to it's going to materialize into a into an opportunity for a Sun Belt team to play in, in one of those CFP New Year's Day games. Well, Carl, I guess I'll piggyback off of off of that. Um, the college football playoff rankings, the the initial rankings, come out tonight, uh, Tuesday night. What would you say to a committee member, I guess, who, who is trying to evaluate a one-loss, in this case, Georgia Southern Sunbelt team, um, to a one-loss, say, Power 5 team? Well, again, it's so subjective, and, and uh, you know, at this juncture, you know, most of the time, just based on, on strength of schedule, the, the, the Power 5 team is going to, mm-hmm. you know, to, uh, to be looked at you know, much more favorably. Again, our... our Goal is to put ourselves up against our peer conferences, and and at this time, you know that's you know that's you know obviously Central Florida is the you know is the best team in in the American right now, and you know, Buffalo is the best team in the Mid American Conference, and uh, Fresno State or Utah State are in the best in the Mountain West, and you know Conference USA has a team that you know that, that that's in the you know kind of in that conversation, and. And Georgia Southern now is, is in that conversation. So, um, you know, there's still the month of November left to separate, and and uh, you know the goal for you know for Georgia Southern or any of those other teams is to 
is to go, you know, unblemished the, the rest of the season and, you know, come after our championship game, you know, to let the committee at that, you know, at that point in time evaluate, you know, uh, a 12 and 1 Georgia Southern versus a, you know, a 12 and 1 perhaps Central Florida. But I think if Central Florida continues to, you know, to, to win out, uh, it's going to be difficult for, you know, for any, um, you know, group of five teams to, to overcome that. Well, Carl, you just listed off a number of, of group of five teams that, you know, I think a lot of people are high on, especially this year. It seems that there's more, um, you know, group of five teams kind of in that top 45 to 50 range. Um, I guess the current four-team format um, for the college football playoff, do you see it? I mean, it, let me figure out how to ask this. I guess has it treated the group of five conferences and teams in football uh, fairly, um, you know, or as fairly as it could for a four-team playoff? And if not, do you see any way for it to include a, a non-power five more often? Well, again, you know, the, the structure that's been in place that still has six years remaining on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this this CFP structure has been very, very beneficial to the you know to the Sun Belt. Um, you know, if there was a Sun Belt team that, that did what Central Florida did a year ago and is during it now with what 20, 20 or twenty one straight wins, you know, I'd probably be pounding my fist on the table demanding greater um, you know greater recognition and and questioning the fairness. But, uh, but right now, you know, our goal is to get into that position, and until then. You know, the Sun Belt is is you know, taking advantage of the of the opportunity that you know that to be part of the the CFP umbrella, uh, the revenues that have that have flowed you know into the Sun Belt have been very very beneficial. Uh, and again, our goal is to you know at the end of the season is to declare the Sun Belt as the best of the five conferences and to have our champion you know playing on New Year's Day. Uh, and and up until you know. You know, until that happens, you know, we're going to continue to to support the current system and uh, and benefit from this from the current system. And Carl, you you came into the the conference in 2012 and, and you know immediately had an impact. Um, you've since announced that you'll be stepping down in 2019. I guess I, w- I wanted to kind of close with giving you a chance to kind of tell us what you're most proud of having accomplished so far and. Maybe something that that you have on your mind that you'd like to accomplish before before um, you know leaving your post in was it July or June of 2019? Well, again, uh, my goal when I came to the Sun Belt in 2012 was to put the Sun Belt in a position as it is now to you know to to elevate itself above our peer conferences, and, and we've done that. Um, We've been able to put together a structure that allows us to have that championship game on December first, and and right now that you know, that's going to be the kind of the, the premier uh, showcase for the for the Sun Belt come December one, whether the game is is in you know Statesboro or um, you know Bern or Troy or you know wherever that location is, and you know to me that's going to be a highlight and it's going to be a an opportunity to, for me to, you know, to enjoy what the Sun Belt has been able to accomplish the past six years, and and to focus, you know, focus on that game, and um, you know, it, uh, it it's certainly been a, I think, a, a very very successful 
six years, and um, and yet there's still a lot of a lot of room to, to grow and to prosper. And and yet right now I'm going to be focusing on you know on this football season, and um, you know then as we finish the, the 2018 football season, you know we'd look at, at basketball and both men's and women's basketball, you know, and the and the postseason there too. So um, you know it'd be great to. Uh, you know, to, to finish my career, you know, seeing a, a Sun Belt football team, um, you know, on the sidelines of a, of a New Year's Day game, uh, and at the same time, a, a Sun Belt um, men's women's basketball team, you know, advance into the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, or a softball or baseball team get to their respective World Series, and you know, in you know, in, in Omaha or Oklahoma City, that'd be that'd be a great way to go out. Well, Commissioner, we do appreciate you joining us again. Um, you know, I think that a lot of Georgia Southern fans, you know, are kind of grateful and 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 really um, thankful that the conference accepted them in, in 2014 and, and have since grown and expanded along with uh, with Georgia Southern. So, thank you for joining us, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you in Statesboro. If not, again during the regular season, then maybe on December 1st for a, a conference championship football game. Great. Thanks so much, Travis. It's been my pleasure. And uh, the relationship between, you know, Georgia Southern and their fans and, and the Sun Belt has been great. And I think that it's been a very, very positive and, and beneficial and valuable partnership that's only going to get uh, get better. Oh, yeah. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown, Georgia Southern.